Judges chapter 2. God gave explicit instructions to the Israelites as a part of his covenant. God will now permit the Canaanites and their gods to be like thorns in the sides of the people and snares to the people. Israel's unfaithfulness will cause them to abandon Yahweh time and again. They will chase after other gods. They will marry into the other nations when they were explicitly told not to. But where they are continuously unfaithful, God continues to uphold the covenant, and he is faithful. God raises up judges or redeemers to bring them back. Redeemers who are flawed, but they point forward to the good Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Good morning and blessed Lenten tide to you. Today is Tuesday, March 28th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Explore their many offerings of foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, joining me this morning to help us discern and apply Chapter 2 of Judges is my guest, the Reverend Gregory Alms. He's pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Cantonsville, Maryland. Pastor Alms, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. Great to be here. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Well, good. Well, I'm happy to have you on. Um, you know, this is the first time you've been on the show with me, so I was just wondering, maybe take a few moments and share with the listeners a little bit about yourself, your congregation, and how God is working through you both. Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, as you said, Pastor Greg Holmes, Pastor of St. Paul uh, Church and School in Catonsville, Maryland. Been in Catonsville about, uh, about two and a half years now. Took a call in the middle of covid um, which was crazy times, but uh, God has brought, uh, brought us and the congregation through that, continues to bring us through, and uh, we are surely thankful for that. Um, married, uh, four daughters, uh, grown, and uh, just the last one just out of the house, and um, so we are, uh, we are grateful all of God's blessings on that score. The church and the school is a wonderful place as we're getting to know them and, and know them well now, and uh, lots of good folks eager to do to do God's word, work and, and share His truth. Uh, excellent staff and people there. The school is doing well. So, you know, we're just really thankful. We're thankful on lots of, lots of uh, reasons. Well, that's great. Wonderful. Well, I'll tell you what. Today, we are going to be exploring uh, into Judges just a little more. We set the foundation yesterday. And now we're going to get into basically more more specifically, I should say, the reason why God raised up these flawed redeemers. Uh, but before we dive into any of the text, uh, I would love it if you would begin our time together in prayer. Sure. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your holy word, you speak to us of uh, sin and grace, of uh, our failures, and yet your un ending and uh, never-ending love for us, um, and in, in your word we hear of your rescue uh, of us uh, from sin and death through your Son, Jesus, and we pray as we, as we hear of your uh, continual mercy and rescue of your people in, in the book of Judges that we might know that 
that you rescue us in Christ even now, today, every day, through the mercy and forgiveness you give us. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, we pray this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, before I read any text today, is there any background or foundation that you'd like to give the people? Maybe catch them up if they haven't. I mean, we haven't gotten very far in it, but just anything folks might need to know if perhaps they didn't tune in yesterday. Sure, sure. I mean, um, Judges, is there, and, and we're only going to ta- tackle Chapter 2 today, so just the beginning of the book of Judges, of course, uh, follows on Joshua. It's a It's a continuous narrative, and... Joshua follows uh, from uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books. And I'm not going to rehearse all that, but, you know, God's people come through the wilderness, um, of course, full of sin and idolatry and failures, and and God brings them uh, into the promised land, a land that he promised to give them. And uh, God had had told them, commanded them, that when they entered that land— they were to clear it out of uh, the the nations and and the people living there, um, for the for this reason, and that is that those people would be a snare to them for idolatry and and to wander off from being faithful to God, and uh, they fail at that task. Uh, Judges one uh, kind of ends with a list of the uh, of the tribes, and uh, it's um, uh, you know. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Ephraim did not drive out. Zebulun did not drive out. And so, you know, that failure to follow God's command and to trust in him, uh, trust in his word, uh, to to do what he said for their own good, uh, leads us into chapter 2, where continue to see the consequences of that uh, disobedience in their relationship to God and and as their their life continues in in this new land. Well, let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But, yeah, it gets into basically why the reason God wanted them to not be involved with these surrounding nations. Uh, And he reveals that here. Here we go. Now the angel of Yahweh went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I will say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of Yahweh spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to Yahweh. So we have already in the first five verses just, uh, uh, well, the results, as you said, of their of their unfaithfulness and their disobedience. They're already worshiping false gods when specifically they were to uh, they were to to cast down their altars. And we get a hint that that's not going to be the case. I mean, it ends with them sacrificing to Yahweh. But we kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, and it's a it's a nice introduction that that really sets the stage well for what comes not only in chapter two, but really, uh, really the subtext of of all of the book of Judges. And it's it's interesting that you know, and and this is maybe a larger point, but you know, 
the history of the Old Testament people of God is is always the history of their weakness, their failure, their wandering, um, and it's always the story of God's um, response to them. And and he kind of the angel of the Lord, who is a, the angel of Yahweh, is of course uh, Yahweh Himself, um, uh, God Himself in uh, present with them, and you know, he kind of rehearses what he's done for them and, and the covenant that he gave. And, you know, it's always a rehearsal of God's mighty acts and um, what what the Lord has done, even though they didn't deserve. And so it's these, you know, on one hand, a fulfillment of the promises. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore. God promised that he was going to do this, and he did. He was faithful, and and he promised never to break his, his covenant with them. Uh, and yet they... Uh, we're not faithful to him, and it's <clears throat> it's not just you know oh they were you know there are no little sins, but it's not just little sins or this that and the other thing, but you know this idea of covenant is that you shall make no covenant. Uh, God had made a covenant with them, a covenant of of love and faithfulness to them, and you know when it says he, he says you shall make no inhabitants covenants with the inhabitants of this land. It's not just the inhabitants, but of course always in in this text what that means is the gods who are being worshipped by this inhabitant. So the covenants really is is a spiritual unfaithfulness. They are uh, fooling around, so to speak, and I think we'll get the word whoring at some point later in this in this chapter. So Mm-hmm. Again, it's 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 the spiritual faithfulness, the covenant that they are breaking with God, and and the consequences that come. The covenant that he mentions here is is worth looking at. We find that uh, in Deuteronomy chapter seven, the first five verses. I'm going to read that because not only is it being directly referenced here by the angel of Yahweh, but it also shows that what happens next is a result of their not keeping the covenant. It's not as though God is breaking his word when he says, I'm going to drive them out, but him driving them out was contention upon them, uh, well, basically obeying him. But here's what it says in Deuteronomy 7. When Yahweh your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when Yahweh your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of Yahweh would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. And then he goes on to say that they're a holy people set apart. So we have this pretty clear instruction. They really have one job to do, and, and they don't do it. You know, they have not obeyed the voice of God. And when when he's when he's told, when they're told rather by Yahweh that they <laughs> that he's now not going to basically be with them. He's not going to help them drive out these nations. They wept and had sort of a a a moment of national repentance because it says that they they sacrificed there to Yahweh 
Um, that repentance is not going to be long lasting, is it, brother? No, no, it's not. And, and we don't have any reason to doubt the sincerity of it, I suppose. But you're right. Uh, the evidence shows, God's word shows that it doesn't last. And as, as we get along in this chapter, and certainly in the book of Judges, we'll see that that they are continually uh, going through this cycle of repentance and then wandering, uh, wandering away. And yeah, that's that's a great uh, you know to to hear that read Deuteronomy seven is is you know really uh, pertinent and it makes it clear that uh, God when He tells them to destroy these nations and not to intermarry, you know He gives a reason for it. It's it's not some sort of you know He's not being uh, cruel or or you know uh, uh, capricious. Uh, he says there in verse four, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. I mean, that is always God's concern. That's always God's motivation is uh, faithfulness of his people to him. And the faithfulness is so that he may bless them, uh, that he may be with them, that he may forgive their sins. And when, when they turn away to other gods, they, you know, they're turning away from their source of life and grace and mercy. And um, when that happens, then, you know, they turn away from God, then, you know, he is, he turns away from them, and, and then the consequences uh, follow. These nations will become thorns, um, and uh, that's God's uh, motivation is, is always for the welfare of his people. Uh, he is stern, and he is uh, unrelenting, and he's stern and unrelenting because their very spiritual welfare is at stake. Let's talk about that for just a moment. You know, Jesus says that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And we wouldn't think it would be appropriate to take other na- over other nations and then completely devote to destruction the people in them, uh, even if they weren't Christians. We, we've seen that throughout history, and we say, oh, that's bad. But that's really what is kind of going on here. Not kind of. It is what's going on here. Does that say anything to us? about our interaction with the world. Like obviously we want to be beacons of light that draw others to Christ. But at the same time, have we as Christians in your opinion sort of intermarried so to speak with the culture maybe a little too much just like they were back then? I think there's certainly excuse me, certainly a uh, a warning there in the, in the text. I mean, obviously I you know, we we, we no longer as Christians deal in national terms or don't uh, go to warfare for the church or put people to death for Christ. Uh, uh, our battle is spiritual, and and uh, our weapons are spiritual uh, in the church, and, and, and it is the gospel. But I do think that there is a, a clear warning um, that in our belief systems, in our lifestyles, um, you know, there's to be a clear line and a clear marker uh, so that people might look at us and know, ah, you know, they're Christians, they're not this, that, or the other thing. Um, and so I think that this text, this example of, you know, St. Paul says in Corinthians, these things were written down for our instruction. Uh, and so we can read these Old Testament stories, and um, we don't take them all, you know, we're not in the exact same situation, but they're written for our instruction. And I think you're exactly right, that there is a, we're in the world, not of the world, and we are to separate ourselves and to make ourselves distinctive in our faith and in our um, faithfulness uh, to our Lord and, and to his word. Well, let's keep on reading, 
Because in verses 11 through 15, there's a little bit more of a focus on, well, what happens next. Here we go. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the, oh, pardon me. I have skipped a little ahead. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> uh, you're like, wait a minute. What about six through 10? Yeah, yeah, yeah let's, that's okay. I thought maybe, maybe we're going to skip that part, but no. No, no, let's, <laughs> let's not because just like when the death of Moses came around, we now have the death of Joshua and this is a turning point for them in their history. <laughs> let's read six through 10. My apologies. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that Yahweh had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Yahweh, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know Yahweh or the work that he had done for Israel. These, uh, this gives me the same sense a little bit of the pharaohs that rose up um, and, and didn't remember Joseph. And it's sort of like the same thing, right? The people who were around for some of the great works, despite them falling into unfaithfulness, um, they, they still, they, they hung on a little bit longer, but then eventually, I guess that faith was just not passed down in the, in the sufficient way because, well, people came after them who didn't even, it says they didn't know Yahweh. I don't know how specific or, or extensive that not knowing him is, but that's something for us to consider. What do you make of this part? Yes, I mean, I, that, that's exactly right. You know, verse 10, I did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. It reminds me of, um, well, and now my memory is going to uh, uh, fail me, but uh, the, um, uh, the king that came along and all of a sudden they discovered, just as many centuries later in the history of Israel, they, all of a sudden they discovered the law um, in the temple and the book, and it was like, wow, what is this? This is brand new. And, uh, you know, they had the re the reform and so on, and, and it came a little bit too little too late, but it was like, wow, what have they been doing for all these generations if they don't know, you know, this book of the law, the scriptures in here too? You know, God had done all of these wonderful things for them, but, you know, they, they seem to have not been able or not did not pass it along. And so it's there's another one of these things, you know, written for our instruction that, you know, it is our duty, and, and, and God's clear that, you know, as we are to pass this knowledge on to our children and, uh, and to the generations to come. And here, um, uh, this, uh, there seems to be a failure in transmission, as we might say. So it is a, a warning embedded there uh, as well. And, you know, the section also, Joshua, you know, links us back to you know, Moses, and then uh, back into the story of the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings. And, you know, as, as it goes on now, J Joshua has, uh, you know, passed away. And so we're moving into uh, another section of the scriptures, but the issues uh, are largely the same, and that is uh, faithfulness uh, to God. And, and God is going to test that, this, these people, just as he tested those in the, in the wilderness for their faithfulness, wanting to bring them uh, closer to him. 
And I see that happening a little bit today, too, because when we think about this idea that, well, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. And I, I think you're referring to back when King Josiah was in power. Josiah, and, thank you. Yeah, yes. right. So they were repairing the temple and they find this book of the law. And of course, he weeps and it's, you know, and they read it. Um, I, I feel like although the word has been preserved, certainly, and probably more accessible than it ever has been in human history, uh, at the same time, people are neglecting it. And and besides those who are faithful to the Lord, which we already told is going to be a remnant, you know, someday you just kind of hope that there's going to be a, uh, for lack of a better term, a revival, you know, people rediscovering the, the law of the Lord and, and returning. Uh, we're not promised that, of course, but that certainly is I think a desire of many Christians because there seems to have arisen a generation who less and less know who God is or what his will is. And what they do know of, of the Lord or the Christian faith is often tainted or, or clouded by, by, well, basically the enemies of the faith who want to, want to spin the narrative. Uh, so I, I see that as our goal and our duty too, to make sure that people are still hearing the true word of the Lord. Yes, and, and, and I think that's exactly right. There is a warning. And, and, and I think we also can read this also to say, yeah, I mean, the people of Israel here are failing, and this whole generation seems to rise up, which, and, and they don't know a lot of what's going on or what the Lord has done. And, and yet, if that happened in Judges 2, yet the Lord, even in the midst, in the face of the unfaithfulness of his people, as you said, there is a remnant, and that promise is strong. And you know, reading the history of Israel and the story of the judges, there's going to be, you know, lots of disappointments and lots of, oh, my gosh, the people are doing that again. And yet, God is faithful, and he's going to raise up judges. And even for us in our time, you know, there does seem to be, you know, every time you turn around, there's another thing on the Internet about church attendance going down or the rise of the nuns and, you know, uh, the church in the West and in America is in difficult times. Yes, but and even and but we read Judges too, and we say yes, but God is faithful, and and He will, He will preserve His church. So it it also gives us encouragement, I think. Oh, I think there is certainly encouragement in the fact that the Lord remains faithful, and you know, as we see numbers shed across all Christian experience, and people leave the church, uh, sometimes you know we have to remember that that there's no social benefit to being a part of the church. You know, maybe there was in the, in the fifties and forties and sixties, even going into that. But, but nowadays really there's no social benefit to identify as a Christian if you're not. And so some have suggested, and I, I tend to agree with that, that what we're shedding are those people who uh, maybe weren't very faithful to begin with in terms of history. And so the church might be getting smaller, but like a, like a sauce on the stove that's reduced, it's becoming more and more potent, uh, which is good because we, we need that more and more as the church sure. is no longer a part of the general culture. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. And I also don't know that it's the church's role to make the culture look like the church or certainly not to make the church look like the culture. I think our, our role is to just go and be faithful and proclaim the word of the Lord and, and, and be a refuge for those who are part of that remnant, but people disagree. Yeah, no, I, I get you. And I agree with you. I think that's right. I think 
there's certainly many benefits for when the church and the culture are sort of aligned and when the culture is generous towards the church, but there's lots of dangers there and lots of temptations, and sometimes when uh, the church is um, aligned against the culture or has to take and be distinctive, um, there can be difficulties, but uh, it there brings a lot of blessings and, and makes things a lot clearer, I think, for those who are in the church. And the reason I bring that up, and I thank you for that, but the reason I bring that up is because I essentially think that's what's going on here. You know, there's, he's saying, go and take over this land. This is your inheritance that I am giving you. And he has the right to give it because he's God who created it. But he's also saying that you're going to be going into a place where your Canaanite neighbors, their Baal worship, uh, their Asherah poles, all the things that they do are not only uh, an offense to me as God, but they will, but they will draw you away from me. And so he calls them to eradicate them. And as you said, this is also not just a spiritual command, but very much a a civil command and something that we aren't uh, called to do. So there's no call out there for Christians to take up arms and and go and eradicate the people who disagree with us. Um, but but he what he what God is worried about does come to pass, as we'll see. I'm just going to get started in reading the next section, but we'll have to talk about it more when we come back from the break. Uh, but beginning with uh, verse 11, which I uh, read earlier, uh, through verse 15. Here we go. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and served the Baals. And they abandoned Yahweh, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked Yahweh to anger. They abandoned Yahweh and served the Baals and the Asheroth. So the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of Yahweh was against them for harm, as Yahweh had warned, and as Yahweh had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Okay, Uh, we just have a minute before the break, but just starting with verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, uh, we're going to hear that maybe a couple more times, wouldn't you say, brother? Yeah, that's a good uh, summary of the book of Judges, I think. Um, that's right. Uh, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the other gods. That's right. That, that is the constant refrain here, and and um, how God responds to that is, is very, very interesting and has a lot of, I think, lessons. And we can see clearly the character of the God that we serve, and, and uh, uh, in the end, uh, we see his grace and his mercy towards us. Um, uh, in this pattern that we are going to learn in the in see in the in the book of Judges, um, yes, I, I think it's. I don't know how. And just stop me if I go too long. And I, I think it's interesting in verse twelve. It's it's not the overall theme here, but the Lord is always identified as the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt. God is always the one who has rescued them, and their relationship is always based on God as the one of grace and mercy who brought them out of slavery. Um, and bless them with his covenant. So that's where it starts. And then through their own sin and uh, misguidedness gets uh, mixed up. But God is always that one. That is how he is identified. And, and that's the God of salvation. 
Yeah, he has to keep bringing it up because for some reason they keep forgetting. And, and yeah, we know that centuries, right. we know centuries are passing, but still at the same time, what an amazing part of your history to just continuously forget or maybe take for granted. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll talk more about this when we come back, folks. Don't go anywhere. Pastor Alms and I will keep going after this break through Judges chapter 2. We'll see you on the other side. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Join Christian Friends of New Americans for Trivia, Saturday, April 1st at Webster Gardens Lutheran Church. Register at cfna-stl.org. Under events, get your team together, bring your snacks and non-alcoholic drinks, and join the fun. Silent auction available, too. Register at cfna-stl.org under events. Doors open, 545. Trivia begins at 6.30 p.m. We aren't fooling. Please come join the fun. Proclaiming Christ has been the sole mission of KFUO for nearly a century, and that proclamation has been reaching the hearts and minds of our listeners through music, Bible studies, and worship services. We love hearing about this good work in your life. If you'd like to share your own story of how KFUO makes a difference for you, please record your story in your own voice using the open mic feature on the KFUO app, or leave a voice message at 314-996-1542. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Gregory Alms, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Cantonsville, Maryland. Thank you for tuning in this morning as we make our way through Judges. I encourage you to email me at PastorBoo at gmail.com with your feedback or find me on Facebook to ask questions or just say hello. And while I've got your attention, I want you to ask you a favor. Listen, if you enjoy listening to Thy Strong Word, Would you be so kind as to share your love of the show with your friends and family? Thy Strong Word can be heard on the radio in St. Louis, live or on demand at KFUO.org, through the KFUO app, or even as a podcast. I'm so encouraged that you tune in and grow in faith with me and my guests each weekday, so I just want to say thank you for listening. Now, Pastor Alms, before the break, we were just starting to dip our toes into verses 11 and following. And we ended talking about how, you know, the Lord has to continuously remind them that uh, of who he is. And who he is in the Old Testament is frequently focused on one of a couple things. One, of course, he's the creator of all things. And two, probably almost as, as often, he's referred to as the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Um, his 
rescuing of them, being part of his identity, it's just something that I'm always surprised that they forgot, despite the centuries. It just, it's just, it should be embedded in their culture that they were enslaved, and yet now, because they willingly have turned away from him, they're basically rejecting the one who's keeping them out of slavery. And so it's no surprise when they end up being driven back into it again. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's something that, uh, you know, you had mentioned that we kind of talked about earlier, and that is, you know, it's when you're surrounded by, uh, and remember, they're surrounded by other cultures, right, which is neither here nor there. It's perfectly fine, and other cultures need to be respected and all the rest, but this is a spiritual religion that they are surrounded with, and, you know, they... They 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 are tempted and uh, uh, begin to um, to embrace those things, and so they lose that uh, attachment uh, to the Lord. And and this was what he had warned them about when they when they um, were given the, this land that it, the land is a gift; it's the promised land. God is giving it to them. It's clear throughout the narrative of the Old Testament that God has given them this land. They didn't earn it, and you know, it's called their inheritance. It's it's a gift from the Lord, and yet within that gift is the is the um, is the uh, task that they have to remain faithful to Him, and and that's where they uh, they fall down and 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 are given into slavery. It's it's interesting you mentioned that you know in the Old Testament God is identified yes as the one who rescues them, and and as you said also as the Creator and. One of the things that's very interesting in the book of Judges is that God, uh, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, verse 14, and he gives them over to plunderers, which are basically these other, all of these other foreign nations. And this is, you know, God is the Lord of heaven and earth, and even though these other nations may not have realized, and indeed didn't realize that he was Lord and God even over them, he used these other nations. He had he had promised if Israel was faithful to him, he would fight for Israel, and that, uh, you know, Israel would go into battle, but they wouldn't win their battles by their own strength. The Lord would give them the victory, and and they would recognize that and thank him and so on. And But now, with their unfaithfulness, and his ultimate aim is to call them back to himself, to repentance, but he's going to use these other nations because he is the creator. There's only one true God, and he uses these other nations now to fight against them. Uh, and so it's, it's so very interesting that the, uh, that the Lord who is the creator, as verse 15 says, the hand, the hand of the Lord was against them uh, for harm. And so he now, this Lord who, who conquered, uh, you know, all of the nations, you know, overcame Egypt, right? Brought them out of Egypt. Now, because of their sin and unfaithfulness is, is fighting against him. Them. Right. And so and we we have this as as you pointed out, the focus is them abandoning Yahweh sort of as a, as a part of that covenant. It's, it's not as though their salvation is dependent upon them doing something. It's that the free salvation that God has given them through no through no work of their own is what they are rejecting when they abandon the one who gave it to them. Verse 13 they abandoned Yahweh, right, the one true God, and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So um, Ashtarte and Asherah, 
These are Canaanite goddesses. Uh, they kind of got combined throughout history. Um, and then the god Baal was a the god of storms and, and weather and destruction for the Canaanites. Uh, they were also the most worshipped individual gods, but by the time that this is being written, Baals and Ashtaroth really is just the generic words for the gods and goddesses of the Canaanites. So when we think about them abandoning Yahweh, I think it connects directly to the idea that this generation has come around and for all intents and purposes has forgotten, forgotten rather, that God is the one who rescued them out of slavery and all the things that they had done. Which, So then we go, well, it's easy for us to say, well, look at this new generation that's come up that didn't know Yahweh in the same way that people today – um, throughout history, really, the older generation always blames the younger generation for not doing this or not believing that or acting differently. But where does the fault lie if we had to place blame? And at least part of it lies within the generation before the generation who didn't remember Yahweh. It was their job to pass down this faith to them. And so I, again, see that today. We see that people are are neglecting their Christian duty to raise up their children in the faith because, well, frankly, they want them to fit in with the Canaanites that we live in the midst of, whereas we should be making sure our children are prepared to uh, be faithful to Yahweh even in the midst of this foreign land in which we are sojourners. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's one of the lessons that we get here is, um, you know, the, the, the challenge is to be distinctively Christian in a culture where, as you said earlier, there isn't much social benefit to it anymore. Um, and that can be a challenge, you know. I mean, everybody wants to get along in the world. Everybody wants to, um, you know, to be looked at and appreciated and all the rest. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, and we may not be fighting, you know, in the same heroic terms perhaps as this is portrayed, but the battles that we fight, the daily temptations we, uh, encounter uh, to remain faithful are are just as important um, as it was then. That's right. And and again, I, I think you make the, the the point well that this wasn't um, you know just the Israelites failing in their sinful nature in the midst of a relationship they still had with the Lord. I mean, this is them abandoning Christianity. And, and becoming some other religion. I mean, that's really what it is. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroth means, you know, they they became some other religion. I mean, you can't serve both the Lord and uh, these these uh, other gods. So this is serious business, and, and God is serious about his people, and, and that's what uh, comes, these, these consequences. We face that, too, on very small scales, don't we, Pastor? When when we have congregations, and there are people within every congregation where, you know, you just haven't seen them in a while. Life has caught up to them. Uh, things have taken precedence. Uh, and and then they'll come maybe maybe on Christmas, maybe on Easter, maybe every other Christmas. And, and they come back, and we rejoice that they've come back, of course. Um, you have those people in that situation. And then you have the people in the situation who have completely abandoned the faith. They are either um, another complete religion or confession, and then they pop in once a year and want to be treated like they have always been members, right? Oh, I was confirmed here. Or, oh, I was, I was baptized here. 
yeah, I'm Mormon now, but I should still be able to partake in all these things. So there is this difference between people who have gone astray um, and then people who have apostatized, that is, completely rejected the Lord and have followed after other gods. We have to make those distinctions all the time, even in our practice. Yes, yes, that's true. That's right. And it's, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's a reality. And, and in our day and age, more and more of a reality that it's, you know, it's an option. It's an option in, in daily life. Whereas again, not everything was, you know, we, we we're sometimes afflicted with this nostalgia for other times and places, but you know, the fact is now it is an option. You know, there are lots of other religions available to us and no religion whatsoever available to us. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, those, those things are real. And, 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 and in Cal and the people uh, that were in our congregations or uh, drift in and out of them uh, are getting caught up in those things. And so it's a challenge to them. It's a challenge to us as pastors and as congregations uh, to both stand up for the truth and also to be able to speak and to reach out to those people in ways that they understand and and to make clear that you know faithfulness to the lord is is uh, brings its its blessings and unfaithfulness brings its own consequences as well well, if that is law, then we get, well, a little bit of gospel in the next section. Uh, the rest of the chapter, 16 through 23, really the thought continues into chapter 3, but we'll pick up that tomorrow, or actually rather Thursday. But for now, I want to read 16 through, the, through 23, the end of the chapter. Um, this is when the Lord raises up judges. Here we go. Then Yahweh raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turn aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of Yahweh, and they did not do so. Whenever Yahweh raised up judges for them, Yahweh was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For Yahweh was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of Yahweh as their fathers did or not. So Yahweh left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hands of Joshua. Uh, What follows with chapter 3, and we'll cover it on Thursday, are naming those nations that he left behind. But just looking at it here, Yahweh raises up judges. Tell us about judges. I mean, are these guys in, uh, you know, black coats and and sitting behind uh, benches and courtrooms? No, what's what's really going on here? Right, right. So, yeah, it's an interesting phrase, a word, title for them, judges, which can be for us a little uh, misleading. I think the judges were primarily, and and you're going to see this as you go on, obviously, in in three and and following, judges were primarily um, 
rescuers, and we see it in verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And so these nations who remain, who the Israelites did not uh, drive out, those nations then turn around and plunder and harass and make war against Israel itself. And God, again, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That God uh, raises up judges. The Lord raises them up uh, to save his people, to save Israel from the hand of those who plundered them. So the judges are, first and foremost, uh, rescuers. They are saviors with a small s who save the people from these nations. They get the title judges because once, and this cycle will become clear in chapter 3 and 4 and so forth, once those judges uh, are raised up by the Lord, remember this is before the monarchy, there's no kings of Israel, um, and so there's a tribal system, each tribe is more or less governing themselves in civil matters. Uh, the Lord, of course, is their, the king and, and God of Israel, but there's no central government, so to speak. But the judges are raised up, save them, and then they, they, they in, as long as they're alive, they, they seem to function as judges. They uh, resolve disputes. Um, they are, because the Lord had raised them up and given them his spirit, they are leaders uh, in Israel, um, as soon as those individual judges die, however, their period has ended and they are gone, then Israel lapses back into unfaithfulness and the Lord has to raise up another judge, right, who, who rescues them. So the judges do judge, so to speak. They kind of rule, not in a, doesn't seem like a very formal way, but uh, they they resolve disputes and so forth, but their main function really is to be a rescuer or a savior of Israel from the hand of these nations whom the Lord, the Lord does both. He allows and directs these nations against Israel, um, but also raises up the judges to save them. Right, so we have these judges, these military leaders, these whatever they are, redeemers, rescuers might be the better word. It's a shame that it, it isn't that because, well, we've just sort of taken the idea of judge and ran with it. Uh, we have such different ideas. But, yeah, we have them, and I think it's fascinating that we hear that so long as they're around, things tend to go well, but as soon as they're gone – it's like it's like the teacher walks out of the room or the parents are right. away from the house. Suddenly, it's all hell breaks loose and everybody's going on their own ways. Um, and, and in some ways, even worse than they were before. Um, why? Why is that? Why do you think that, that that distinction is made? Is that because if God doesn't have a representative on the ground then somehow they just quickly forget him again? I, why, why are we being told yeah, that? What, yeah, what's the it's message? interesting. It's a good question. I mean, I, and I don't, I think part of it is human nature. I mean, <clears throat> if there's a strong leader, um, a godly leader in, in these cases, people tend to, to follow them and, and to, 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 um, to fall in line, so to speak. And, and, and when that leader is gone, then human nature being what it is, our sinful nature being what it is, you know, we lapse back into bad habits, sinfulness, unfaithfulness. So there is that, I think, um, sort of human nature in, in that way. I think the pattern, and, and, and I don't want to st 
steal too much of your thunder in the in the next chapters. But you know, I, somehow I picked this this little acrostic up, you know, for the Book of Judges, and that is A B C D, and that is you know, there's this pattern that's established: A apostasy, as you had mentioned that word earlier, that Israel is unfaithful, um, and again, not just small sins, but they completely abandon God. B, God batters them. He allows the nations to come. Uh, he allows them to, to rule over Israel, to, to harass them, to, to uh, militarily uh, overcome them. The people then cry out to God. Uh, you know, C, A, B, C. They cry out to God. They ask for help. Um, and then D, he delivers them through the judges. And this pattern is, you know, you're going to see it all through the book of Judges, but I find that so fascinating because, you know, us good Lutherans, that's exactly law and gospel. I mean, we wander off into sin. God preaches his law to us, allows the law to condemn us, to crush us. Um, we then, you know, that's God's word, and it works, and it's purpose, and, and we're called to repentance, so we cry out in sorrow, and we ask for forgiveness, and God delivers us. And so, you know, that's... That's the pattern here in the in the book of Judges. It really is a, a law and gospel pattern, um, writ large, I suppose, in a, on a national way. But it's, we can really see a lesson for us in that God acts, you know, when when he batters the Israelites here, when he allows the nations to come against them, it's still for a saving purpose. He wants them to cry out, and he wants to deliver them. And he does deliver them over and over again. He raises up the judges to bring them out. And and so God's faithfulness and even his kindness and his mercy is shown and again and again. Unfortunately, what is also shown is the, you know, the stubbornness of human nature and, and our propensity for sin. Um, so it's a very interesting pattern. Yeah, and we have 12 judges mentioned in the book of Judges, some we would call minor judges, frankly, just because we aren't told a lot about them. Uh, but these leaders, these military, these political leaders, I think Deborah's the only one who's described as actually judging a case like a judge. But anyway, God uses these uh, admittedly flawed human beings to rescue the people from themselves, from their own slavery to idols, from their own apostasy. And as you've laid out, it does go in this this law gospel kind of trajectory, but I'd also see it as a as sort of a downward spiral, right? Because they get oppressed, and then they're saved, and then after the salvation, there's like a generation usually or two of rest. There, there's like a peace that reigns, and it almost implies as we go through it that it's this this peace, this rest that makes people, well – complacent, sends them away from the Lord. They start then giving credit to the, the gifts that God is giving them to the false gods of the people. And then, of course, that spiral happens again. God sees their apostasy. He sends an oppressor. Uh, and then now they cry out for help, as you pointed out. God saves them. They have rest. And then, of course, this rest causes them to do it again. And, and, and for, for a lot of judges, that's the case. There are some periods where there aren't any rest. But, but we see this. Right this spiral all the way down. Isn't it a shame, brother, that even in our own lives, we often wait until the point at which we are most oppressed, either by our sin or our sickness or our whatever troubles or trials or tribulations we're facing. We, we tend to um, take God for granted during our periods of peace and rest, 
And then we wait till we're most oppressed before we have, before we cry out to him. And that's not the relationship God wants. He doesn't just want to be a, a, a superhero or a vending machine waiting for us to, to put, place our order or call for him. He wants us to have a continuous relationship with him. Uh, wouldn't yes. you agree? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's exactly right. I mean, what he wants is us for always to be relying on him um, and not just when he's got to batter us into the ground. But, you know, his intention is that we would always look to him to receive uh, uh, goodness. God always wants to be the giver and the provider and for us to be the receivers of his blessings. And what happens so often is, you know, we look to every other thing to be our provider and our giver, and we go with our hands out to to every idol and, you know, spiritual huckster and temptation that there is. But that's right. And uh, what he wants is for us to be um, to be faithful to him and to cling to him in good times and in bad. Uh, and, again, the book of Judges is very instructive, you know, for us personally, individually, and also as congregations and in church in this world today, and uh, to be um, faithful. You know, it's an interesting paradox, which you kind of point out, and that is it's, you know, sometimes the most difficult thing is to be faithful when things are good, when things are easy. You know, they have rest, but as you said, you know, these they become complacent, and there's a a temptation in that restfulness, in that easiness, and uh, same for us. That's that's exactly right. Well, we just have a couple minutes left in the program. Uh, any final thoughts from you on this chapter, or or anything else you want to share with the people before we go? Well, just you know, it's been a very interesting uh, conversation, and uh, again, uh, I, I find it fascinating this sort of law and gospel. Uh, outline uh, that is embedded, and and you're going to see it in in chapter three. There's a couple of, as you said, minor judges, so to speak, um, but we'll see that uh, that pattern and um, uh, how the Lord allows, and and again to take another personal lesson, He allows misfortune. And same for us in our lives. God does allow misfortune to happen, but always with the aim to call us back. Not that we may have done something specifically wrong, but um, in the misfortunes that come, uh, uh, we can be sure that through those, God is calling us to an even closer relationship to Him, to rely on Him, His forgiveness, His mercy, and and His presence. And so, you know, the Book of Judges is maybe not one of those all-star books that we always turn to to mm-hmm. to, to read through, but it's got oh, it's so much uh, to teach us, and and one that we would do well. Congratulations to you. I don't know if you picked it or not, but it's a very interesting <laughs> book to go through. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. And I'd like to thank you for being my guest this morning. Folks, that was the Reverend Gregory Olms, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Cantonsville, Maryland. Pastor, again, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. God's blessings on your day. Folks, tomorrow Thy Strong Word is preempted again by some worshipful Lenten programming, but then we'll be back on Thursday with Chapter 3. We'll be introduced to the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar, and how God used them to rescue his people, so don't miss it. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word. 